I'm liking what I see here. Victor, Michael, and Corey. Come up here for a second. Put that beat back on. Come on. No, no, no. Oh, now they're going to get to you. Come on. Put that beat back. Is, you all want to do that? Come on. Do it on the... Come on, Daniel. Come on there. All right. On the stage. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. I'm not going to do it. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Amen. The beat missed it, though. The beat. See, that's why we don't listen to Andy Maneo. We listen to, uh, yeah, amen. Awesome. Praise God. God is good. God is moving in this place. All right, all right, if we can get the giggles out. Take a deep breath. Let it all out. Amen, amen. Praise God. That was a powerful time of worship, guys. I'm just so excited to see what God is doing here in this ministry. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege, you know, because during that time of worship, and really not just that time of worship, but, you know, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, their God is in our midst, right? So how many guys know that when we're worshiping and when we're lifting up our hands and we're going after God, right, we're singing songs, God is in the midst, right? He's right next to you. So some of you that are like cursing under your breath or like checking out the girl next to you or you're talking to your friends, like, yeah, God's actually right there next to you. He sees what you're doing, right? He's there. He's in the building. He's in the room. He sees what you're doing the entire night that you're here. You think you can get away from once you exit the door, but psych, God's there too, following you home, following you to bed. He's everywhere, guys. So if God is everywhere, you need to honor him. You need to give respect to him and to who he is, and you need to live for him. You need to worship him. If God's standing next to you, the person who literally created you and formed you in your mother's womb, you have to give him the glory. You have to give him the honor. Amen. He's worthy of it, just like we were singing. He is worthy of it all. And God is looking for people tonight in Elevate who are willing to give God their all. God is looking for youth. He's looking for teenagers. He's looking for people, hearts in this place that are willing to give him everything, that are willing to love him, that are willing to give God their love, their heart. God's not interested in a religious facade. He's not interested in you coming to elevate. He's not interested in, coming, in, in you coming to church. You're not doing God a favor that you're sitting in this place. I want us all to understand that in this place, there is nobody that is doing God a favor by showing up tonight. We all get that? You're not doing God a, any kind of favor by you sitting here. Oh, well, I could have been playing video games. I could have been, you know, chilling with my friends. I could have been at the movies seeing uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. You know what I'm saying? Well, good for you. You're at church. But outside of that, literally, God is not interested in you just being in a building. And you're not doing God a favor by you showing up here. What God is looking for, he's looking for your heart tonight. He's looking for your attention tonight. He's looking for your love tonight. He doesn't need your love. He doesn't need anything from you. The Bible says while we were still sinners, God died for us. So really, God doesn't need us. He doesn't have to do anything with us. For all you know, we know we deserve hell, fire, and brimstone. We talked about Sodom and Gomorrah the first month of July here. And uh, you know what, guys? We deserve to be punished and judged. We deserve to be squashed in an instant. But God is merciful, praise God. And he's giving you an opportunity tonight because he was after your heart and he loves you. 
and he wants you, and he wants your attention, and he's fighting for your attention. He's fighting for your attention amidst the relationships that you're in, amidst the friendships that you're in, and amidst the, the storms and the chaos and friendships and drama and gossip. God is trying to get through all of that to you because he wants your heart. That's what God is after tonight. Now, it's your choice whether or not you want to give God your heart. That's completely up to you. If God means anything to you for you to give him your heart and your attention, maybe you're like, well, God doesn't really deserve my attention. He doesn't really deserve my love. Uh, this other girl that's probably going to cheat on me next week anyway, she, you know, she, I think she's more deserving of my love than, than God who created me. Well, that's your choice. But I'm here to tell you tonight, God is in this room and I believe he's already tugging at some of your hearts because he wants you to come to him. And he wants you to surrender because he loves you. And he wants to enter into a relationship with you. Our passage is going to be in Revelations chapter 2. We're continuing on with our sermon series, No Turning Back. Everybody say, No Turning Back. Come on, somebody. It's time to go forward in God, in Christ, not turning back, not being double-minded, not backsliding one day and then getting saved the next day. No, it's time to move forward. Stop turning back. Stop looking back at what the devil is trying to tempt you with. Move forward in Christ. Amen. Before I do that, though, and we get into our passage for tonight, this past Sunday, maybe some of you know, we had an amazing baptism service, and a lot of, about a, a few of you uh, chose to get baptized and make a public declaration that you want to serve Jesus, that you want to give it all to the Lord. And so at this moment, if I can have my sister Josie come up, come on Josie, there we go, and if I can have Julian come up, where my man Julian at? Come on bro, come on. Every, every, give, get up as they, uh, as they come up, clap your hands for them, yes. Praise God. So these two awesome youth, Julian and Josie, um, they, uh, they made that decision um, to go after God and to be baptized. They said, you know what? I want to make this public. I want to make this official. I'm not going to turn back anymore. I'm going to serve Jesus. And so just for a moment, I want you guys maybe to take at least a minute or so. Um, don't start preaching now, but uh, just talk about what you felt like in that baptismal take, what made you choose that, what made you go in that direction, why did you want to get baptized, right? All that good stuff. So Julian, you'll go first, and then Josie. Thank you. Um, the reason why I was baptized is because I was tired of living in, in my sin, um, not obeying my parents, lying, um, starting fights at school, and... Um, So you're good. Um, what did it feel like? So you, you wanted to, you know, stop sinning and, you know, doing all this stuff, want to go after Jesus. That's powerful. I already feel the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, when you were in that baptismal tank, what, what did it feel like coming out of the water and all that? Uh, I, felt, I felt different and changed. And when I was talking about it, I started, started crying. Amen. Did you feel Jesus, Julian? Yes. Praise God. 
Amen. Amen. Give it up for Julian. Powerful, powerful, dude. Praise God. Now, Josie, same question, right? Why did you want to get baptized, and what did it feel like when you're in the tank and you came up out of the water and that whole experience? Well, um, even though I was raised in um, church, like, being baptized was, like, one of the things, like, that made it, like, super official. And, like, when I walked in the, the, to the tank, number one, it was really hot. But the, water the water wasn't cold. So, um, but it made me think, like, how much um, Jesus cared about me and... Like, it made me think about, like, why he would die on the cross for my sins. And, like, and I, I did, like, um, like, I, I did feel the Holy Spirit in the tank. And when, when um, Pastor Joe was praying for me, I felt God. And um, when, I, when they um, dumped me in the water... And then I came up, um, I just, I, like, saw a picture of, like, when you go down and then your sins are clean and then you're raised with Christ and you're a new creation. Amen, amen. Praise God. Really quick, before we move on, let's just all extend our hands to Julian and Josie right now. So if we can extend our hands, right, stretch your hands toward them as a sign of just agreement. And we're just going to say a quick word of prayer for them. Um, Father God, I just thank you for the decision that they made to serve you and to make it public, God, to come out of the closet and uh, just make it official, Lord God, that they're going to serve you and not turn back. Lord, I pray that no matter what attacks may come against them, Lord, no matter what temptation may happen in their life, Lord, they would stay close to you, God, and never give up and never turn back away from you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome. Praise God. You guys can go back to your seats. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Powerful. You see, guys, that meant so much to the heart of God when he saw Julian and Josie decide to go in that direction, get baptized, you know, because they weren't doing it for me. They weren't doing it for their parents. They weren't doing it to get more likes on Facebook. They weren't doing it because they wanted to be famous on Instagram. Julian chose to get baptized because he wanted God. Josie chose to get baptized and get into the water because she wanted to go after Jesus, because she wanted God, because there was a love inside of her heart for Jesus that said, you know what, I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to get baptized because I want to make him happy. I want to make him proud. And that's what God's after. And that's what moves God's heart when he sees youth responding, when he sees people, human beings respond to him out of love, making decisions and choices solely because they love God. Not because somebody's forcing them to, not because somebody's beating them over the head, oh, you got to go to church, oh, you got to get baptized. No, when somebody says out of their own free will, Lord, I'm going to choose to love you and get baptized and serve you, that touches God's heart. Because that's what, care, that's what he cares about. Because that's what he's looking for. That's what he's concerned about. That's what he's looking for in your life right now. If we can all turn to Revelations chapter 2. Revelations chapter 2 verse 1. We're going to be learning about a church back in 
the ancient times, about 2,000 years ago, the church was named Ephesus. Everybody say Ephesus. Ephesus. This, in particular, location that we're going to be learning from is a very well-known, prosperous city. And there was a lot of Christians in this region, if I'm not mistaken. Ephesus was a great hub for Christians to get together. There was a, a lot of believers there. They were doing a lot of things. And this church in Ephesus was known for their work, for their labor. They were doing so many things. They were involved in so many different ways, advancing the kingdom of God. Very well-known, renowned area for Christianity, for the church. People knew them. People heard about them. They were doing all this stuff for God. This is the church that we're kind of discussing and, and we're going to be talking about tonight. You could say they were doing everything right. They weren't lazy. They weren't evil. They weren't wicked. They weren't backslidden. They were legit. They were doing all this work. They were laboring for God's kingdom. They came early. They stayed late. This is the church of Ephesus right here. And so in this in particular chapter, Jesus is talking to the church. He's talking to the people of the church of Ephesus, and he's having a conversation with them, and he's kind of pointing out some things that he notices about this church, about this, the, the, this group of believers in Ephesus. So what does he have to say about these people? Well, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. Everybody say, I know your deeds. Jesus is fully aware of what the church is doing. Nothing is catching him off guard. He's not unaware of like, you know, maybe one hour spent cleaning the bathroom for the Lord. Like he sees it all. He understands. He sees what's going on. He notices what they're doing for his kingdom. He says, I know your deeds. And what are their deeds? What is this church's deeds? It says they work hard. Your hard work and your perseverance. Good things. They're working hard for the kingdom of God and they're persevering. They haven't renounced God. They haven't turned to a lifestyle of sin, started cheating on their wives, started going to parties, getting drunk. No, they're persevering. They're, they're being consistent. It says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. So they... Don't tolerate wickedness. They're moral. They're good people. They're not okaying sin. They're not saying it's okay to, uh, you know, smoke weed or, or, again, just go to parties and have sex and do all this crazy stuff. They're, they're not tolerating evil in this church, a good church. They don't tolerate evil. They pursue goodness. They pursue righteousness. They don't tolerate evil. They don't tolerate wickedness. It says that they have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. So another thing that God notices about this church, okay, well, they don't tolerate evil. They're working for the kingdom of God. They're laboring. They're persevering. Okay, pretty good stuff here. Well, another thing, they expose falsehood. People and pastors or people who try and call themselves, oh, I'm a pastor, I'm an apostle, I'm a pastor of this church or whatever, and they're like teaching false things, they're lying, they're, they're, they're twisting the scripture. The Bible says that the church of Ephesus exposes these false teachers, these false pastors. They expose falsehood, they expose lies, they stand for the truth. The truth means something to the church of Ephesus. And so they're holding on to truth. They're exposing and testing those who claim to be pastors, believers. They find them to be false, and they expose a lie. That's a pretty good thing to do as a Christian, to stand for the truth, expose lies, call out 
people who are twisting the Bible and twisting Scripture, saying that it's, uh, you know, that saying that it's okay to live in sin, but then still call yourself a Christian. It's okay to, you know, do all these things on the side, but not give your whole life to the Lord. Yeah, the church of Ephesus was calling these, these things out. They were saying, no, these things are false. These things are wrong. They're lies. Don't believe them. Verse 3, it says, you have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Leave it there, Oscar. It says that the, the church of Ephesus, another thing that God notices about them is that they have suffered hardship for the name of Christ. So what does that mean? That means in the church, in the city of Ephesus, people who are not Christians, who are not believers, they're, in a sense, in, in, in a certain way, persecuting, making fun of, mocking, making it hard for the Christians of Ephesus. And so in the face of persecution and suffering, the Christians there in Ephesus did not give up, right? So, for instance, right, say an unbeliever comes up to one of these Christians that belongs to the church of Ephesus, and they say, hey, you know what, um, you know, if you want to work with me, you, you have to work Sundays. Or, hey, you know, I, I see that you're a Christian. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to have to cut your salary because um, I want to favor these other people. I'm going to give these other people more hours or whatnot, right? They suffered levels of persecution for the sake of Jesus. They were a Christian. They were making it known to other people. They weren't afraid of the name of Jesus. And because of that, they suffered. Because of that, they were persecuted. Because of that, they suffered hardship. But they persevered. They didn't renounce the name of Jesus. They didn't say, okay, well, you know what? I guess I'm not really that big of a Christian anyway. I'll just go along with whatever these people are telling me. No, they actually stood their ground. It says they didn't grow weary. So we have this church that's doing an amazing job. They're working. They're persevering. Even in the midst of suffering for the name of Jesus, they stand firm. They don't give up. It looks like a pretty good list so far that we have going for this church. What could possibly be the problem? This, is, this seems like a good uh, church to look up to. Great criteria. They're not going crazy, sinning, living in a perverted lifestyle. Okay, Jesus, you must be happy with this church, right? They're doing everything good. They're coming to church. They're sitting nice and quiet. Lord, you must be proud of the church of Ephesus. Well, let's see. Jesus isn't done yet. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. So after Jesus names and lists all these different things about the church of Ephesus, he notices, he sees them doing. After he lists all of those different things, he, he goes down to one thing and he says, but this thing, this one thing, I have this against you. Okay, you're doing great in all these other areas. You're working, you're suffering hardship, you're not giving up, you're not renouncing my name, you're not growing weary. Okay, but you know what? Despite all those good things that you have going for you, I, I have this one issue with you. I have this one thing against you that you, says, yet I hold this against you. Next slide. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Everybody say, you have forsaken the love you had at first. This is Jesus talking to this, this church. He sees all the things that they're doing, and yet he goes down to this thing, and he says here, you have forsaken the love you had at first. 
Now, why is that important to Jesus? Out of all the things he could have talked about, out of all the things he could have pointed to, out of all the things he could have judged or, or critiqued the church of Ephesus, there's only one thing that God seems to, to, to care about. It seems like there's only one real thing that God is concerned about in his conversation with this church. It seems like there's only one thing that's getting Jesus' attention as he's talking to the church of Ephesus. And what is it? What gets God's attention? What is he concerned about when he's talking to this church that seems like they have everything together? He points out this one issue. It says, you're doing all these great things, but you don't love me. And you've forsaken your first love. It says, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is basically saying, if you do not repent, you're not going to be a believer anymore. You're not going to be with me on my side anymore. I'm going to remove you. I'm going to push you away. If you don't repent. Repent of what? What are you talking about, Jesus? We're doing everything right. Yeah, you're doing these things, but you have no love in your heart for me whatsoever. Here's what I found interesting about this chapter and the, the, the church of Ephesus as Jesus is talking to them. Despite all the good things that they have going for them, despite the fact that they're working and they're laboring for the kingdom of God, despite all those things, Jesus the whole time is nowhere in the picture. They're doing everything right, so to speak. They're sitting in a chair, coming to church, but they don't love God. There's actually no love for Jesus within them. Even though they're coming to church and doing all these great things, they do not love God. And love for God is completely absent from their heart. And that word forsaken, that phrase there that we see, it actually means divorce. It's a very strong term that God is describing the, the, the desire and the emotion of the Ephesian church. He's saying, look, you've divorced my love from me. You've divorced me. You've left me. You've abandoned me. You used to be in love with me. We got to catch this, guys. It says that you have forsaken the love you had at first. Everybody say at first. That means that at one point, this church used to love God. It means at one point, at first, this church used to be in love with Jesus. It means at one point, back at the beginning, you know what? The church of Ephesus loved serving the Lord. They loved Jesus. They did everything for him. They weren't doing it for mankind. They weren't doing it to get attention. They weren't doing it for all these other reasons. They were doing it simply because they loved Jesus. It says, repent and do the things you did at first. There was something that this church was doing at the beginning that caught God's attention and moved his heart. There was something about the Ephesian church, what they were doing at the beginning, what they were doing at first, that caught God's attention, that moved him. And yet somewhere along the way, the church of Ephesus lost that love that they once had for the Lord and abandoned God, stepped away from the Lord, stopped loving him. Doesn't mean they stopped going to church. Doesn't mean they stopped serving cleaning bathrooms or, or staying after service to like vacuum some chairs or vacuum the floor. No, they did, it's not that, that, that they stopped doing that. They were, they were still doing things. 
They're still doing good things, as a matter of fact. But the whole time they're doing all this good stuff, they're not doing it for God. They're doing it just because. And Jesus is there the whole time wanting to be in a relationship with them, but they're just doing this other stuff without God in the picture. And Jesus is saying you need to repent and do the things you did at first. reason why I thought this was kind of interesting for this series of no turning back a lot of times we, we, you know, we're just talking about turning back. Last week we talked about the city of Jericho and how the people of Israel, they turned back in their hearts. They didn't want to move forward into the promised land. They doubted God. They said, you know what, we, we, we don't really care about what God's trying to do in our lives. We would, we'd rather go back to what, you know, the, the sin that we were in. We'd rather go back to Egypt. And so they turned back in that sense. And we learned a lot about uh, Lot's wife. And how even though God was trying to rescue Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot's wife turned back, looked back at the sin and all that stuff, right, because her heart was still there. Well, in this case, God is actually telling the church of Ephesus to go back. He's actually telling the church of Ephesus, he's actually telling these Christians that they need to go back and do what they did at the beginning, what, do what they did at first. Because, you see, in order for them to move forward in their walk with God, they have to go back to the beginning. Why do they have to go back to the beginning? Because something was there at the beginning that isn't there now at the present. And it all goes back to love. Just like some of you, when you first came to Elevate, when you first encountered God's presence, when you first heard his voice, I know there's so many of you in this room who have had encounters with God, real, genuine encounters with the Lord. You felt his spirit. You were set free. You felt his love come over you, and you just had a moment with God. You had an encounter with the Lord, and it was so powerful, and it touched you, and it made you say in your heart, you know what, I'm going to serve Jesus no matter what. I can't tell you how many times coming to Elevate, I've seen so many youth at these altars crying their eyes out, hands raised, going after God, saying, I'm never going to turn back from you, Jesus. And if every single person that said that actually followed through, you know what? This place would be packed out. But what happened? Along the way, so many teenagers, so many people, not just in Elevate, but even in the, the church in general, so many people lost the love that they once had for God. And it became old to them. And they stopped doing things just because they loved the Lord. And they started doing things just, for the, 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 just, just to appease people, just for the approval of mankind. They started making decisions without the love of God in their heart. So they started coming to church, not because they love God, but that's just the routine that they got themselves into. They started saying a prayer in the morning, not because they're actually talking to the creator, but just because that's religiously how they were raised. And so even though you may in your life look like you have everything together and you're doing the right thing, guys, you have to be in love with Jesus. That's the most important thing. You have to be in love with him. And there's so many of you in this place, you need to go back. You don't need to move forward because you keep trying to move forward with your backslidden self. You keep trying to move forward with your sin. You keep trying to move forward with your compromise. You keep trying to move forward with your jacked up relationships that you're in. You need to look back at the time you were at these altars with your hands raised, crying out, saying, God, touch me. 
You need to look back at what you did at first. You need to look back at that time when you came up to Monica or TJ or Will and you asked them to pray for you. And you said, man, I want to give my life over to Jesus. I'm tired of sinning. You need to look back at that time, some of you, when you were baptized in the baptismal tank and you made a declaration of faith saying, I'm not going to fall for the sin and the temptation of the world. I'm going to go after Jesus. Some of you have lost that love that you once had for God. You can hide it. You can mask it. You can come to church and wear a fake smile the whole time. God is telling you, you've divorced me. You've abandoned me. Come back. Because I love you. Because I'm after you. He's saying, repent. It's a very simple word, only five verses, but I'm telling you guys, it applies to every single one of us here. God is looking for people who are in love with him. He's not concerned about all these other things. Oscar, if you could go back to the first, uh, the, for the for verse two and verse three. It says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You can't tolerate wicked people. He's listing all these good things about the church. You've tested uh, false prophets, false apostles, false teachers, you stand up for the truth, you've endured, you've suffered for my name, you haven't grown weary, but you know what? I don't care about all that stuff because you don't love me at the end of the day. And that's what I'm after, and that's what I'm concerned about, and that's the thing that I'm after in your lives. So I want us all in this place to think, was there a time in our past where we were once in love with Jesus? Is there a time in our past where we once loved God and didn't care about people? Is there a time in our life where we were so in love with Jesus, we spent hours praying, we spent hours reading our Bible, we felt his love, we, we, we would just do the craziest thing for God? Because God's calling you back to that. He's tired of you just coming to church. He's tired of you just sitting in a chair. He's tired of you just being religious. He's tired of seeing you come week after week, and the whole time, there's no love. You can sit in a chair every single Friday and not actually love Jesus, when the whole time, that's the only thing God is caring about. You have to love him. You have to give your heart over to him. It has to be real. It has to be genuine. It has to be sincere. And don't think your good works are going to save you. Your, your little two coins, your two religious coins that you drop in the bucket every Friday. Well, I'm just going to come to church, uh, and I might even dabble in discipleship a little bit. I'll, I'll be in one-on-one for five weeks, and then I'll back out, and then I pop back in. You know, just don't, don't think that this is somehow helping you, because guess what? God is telling this church, if you keep doing this religious nonsense, I'm going to have to remove you from my presence, because I'm tired and I'm fed up with your games. That you keep doing these good deeds, but there's no love behind it. And I want your love. I want your heart. So in this place, I want to challenge you. We're talking about no turning back, not going back, and moving forward. But some of you in this place, in order to move forward, you need to look back at the times you were most in love with Jesus. Because I know 
I know some of you, if you were to just look back, you would see Jesus. You'd see him touching you in your bedroom at night when you were praying and you felt alone and you felt his presence instantly. See, that's in the back somewhere, but you need to look back and remember where you've fallen. Because to you, that's not important right now. And you care about other things instead. I'm telling you guys, God loves you so much, but in order to move forward, you need to look back at the times God has touched you. And you need to do what you did at first. It's not complicated. It's not a five-step program. God is just saying, just go back to the beginning when you first said yes to me. Go back to the beginning when you first got baptized and you said, I just want to live for Jesus. That's what God is calling us to in this place. If we can all stand. If I can have Stephanie come up to the guitar. we can all just close our eyes in this place. Holy Spirit, I just ask you that you begin to convict hearts, God, people that once were in love with you, Lord, I pray that they would fall back in love with you again. Lord, I pray that they would come back to their first love, Jesus. God, I pray that they would come back to you, Lord. They wouldn't just think it's about a religious game of just coming to church, just hearing a message, even doing discipleship, even doing all these different things that are right. God is after your heart. He's after love. He's after your attention. He wants you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would convict us right now, God. I pray that you would make us more aware of your spirit and your love for us, God, in this place. Maybe for some of you, you've never felt the love of God before, but you can tonight. God wants you to feel his love right now in this place. And if you want to have a moment with Jesus, I want to encourage you. You can go after God right now and say, Lord, I surrender to you. I don't want to live in sin anymore. I want to give my whole heart to you. Because God is looking for people and throughout this entire room. He's looking at each individual. He's looking at you dead in the eye. He's saying, will you come back to me? He's saying, will you come back to me? Just a few more moments, guys. Let's just talk to the Lord right now. Tell the Holy Spirit that you want him. Tell God that you want him. Tell Jesus that you love him. If I can have my altar call 
workers come up. The altar call is very simple. I'm going to have two. One, obviously, if you don't know God, if you've never felt his presence before, the altars are open. Come, experience God. Give your life to Jesus today. The second altar call, if you at one point in your life felt the love of God, you knew God, you talked to him, you felt his presence, you backslid, you used to be a church kid, you used to know God, you used to do all these different things for him, God used to be real to you, but you fell away, you fell out of love with God, the love you once had for God dwindled, dried up, there was a point, there was something, There was a time in your past where you were at an altar call and you raised your hands and you were crying and you said, God, I'll do anything for you. Yeah, there was a point where you used to do that, but you're not doing that anymore. If that's you, I'm talking to you right now. There was a point sometime, I don't know how long ago, years ago, 10, 5, 6, whatever. There was a time in your past where you loved Jesus. And you were kneeling at these altars, at another church, I don't care. There was a time where you encountered the love of God. It was real to you, but you stepped away from that. You walked off on Jesus. You cheated on God. You abandoned him. You divorced him. And you think your religion is going to save you. It's not. The invitation tonight is for you. Come up. Return to your first love. Return to your first love. These altars are open. Come up and receive prayer.